This is a sex pot comedy production. Hi there. Hey, happy 2019. This is our first recording of the new year. We just realized that right before we hit record. We were like, we haven't done that yet in this new year, have we? <laughs> On this, January 27th. We have finally gotten around. We've... Would like to wish you Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's it's time for everyone's uh, resolutions to have sunk in. You're kind of like over your New Year's Eve hangover. Congratulations. You um, had those first two weeks where you hit the gym super hard and then you haven't gone back since. How's that going, everybody? Yeah. Or you were like me and just like didn't even, I was like, if I don't try, then I just won't mm-hmm. fail either. Well, what you did is you were budget <laughs> conscious and you were like, I shouldn't get a gym membership because it's a waste of money. Exactly. So you started the year out on a frugal, uh, on a frugal foot. Right. And we, uh, we, we are attempting things like planning. And so what we're going to try to do is commit to releasing our episode on the fourth Monday of every month. That's our new year's resolution is podcast regularity. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. We like things regular here at Required Readcast, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, so I'm Lauren Ballman. I'm Jessica Austin. And we are excited today to talk about C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And we timed the recording of this so beautifully. Oh, man. Because I woke up this morning and my husband Jeff is like, hey, James McAvoy did a, fa- a Mr. Tumnus sketch on <laughs> SNL last night. So James that's- McAvoy, who played Tumnus in the movie. In 2005. Was an adorable Tumnus last night on SNL. Great sketch. Uh, Check it out. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll bring that in later when we yes. talk about media appearances. Um, no, but, but that was a really random occurrence that that came out the night before we were recording this episode, considering this book is 70 years old or whatever. You were like, I do not expect uh, many new pop culture lying, <laughs> which in the wardrobe things to come up. Right. But hey. Right. Thanks, SNL. Nice timing. You know, I feel like I want to credit John Mulaney with that. I feel like he did it. Sure. I mean, he's not writing on the show. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anything funny that's happening on SNL these days, let's just still give credit to John Mulaney. <laughs> yes. Thank you, John Mulaney. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Um, before we jump into to the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, I want to know, what are you reading right now that's not for this podcast? Which is a challenge sometimes, but we make it happen because, you know, I think reading should be for fun, too. Not that they're books we read for this aren't fun, but it's a different kind of fun. Yeah, this is like, oh, shit, I have to read this within two weeks. Go, go, go. Make notes, make notes. <laughs> and a lot of the times these things we're reading for this um, are things we've read before. A lot of them are rereads. So Yeah. Um, I'm reading right now, I'm finishing up uh, Chris Gethard's book, Lose Well. Oh, really? Um, comedian and uh, improviser and all-around good human being Chris Gethard. Um, yeah, it's good. I like it. Um, talks a lot about why you should fail at things and why that's okay and how it makes you a better human. I want to celebrate my failure. I'll yeah. add that to my reading list. Yes, you uh, should. I highly recommend it. I don't do a lot of nonfiction. Um, I have a lot. I have like a stack of unfinished self-help books, <laughs> all with the word shit, fuck, or ass in the title, like bleeped out. But get your, Like, get your shit together, you your, ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get your fucking shit together, you ass. <laughs> that We're going to write... Guess what? You yes. heard it here first. We are we're releasing a self-help book. <laughs> Get your fucking shit together here, you ass. 
Oh, Except I'm... it just stops like halfway through because we just quit writing it. Well, I told you the, the <laughs> You Are a Badass book. I bought that. You didn't, didn't read, read it. it. I'm halfway through and halfway through her oh, other yeah? one, You Are a Badass About Money. <laughs> so I'm not a badass enough to finish the first book. I'm a badass enough to buy the second book. But when I was living in Cedar City this summer in Utah, ass was bleeped out of the title. It was A asterisk asterisk. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they didn't have the word ass in it. Oh, Utah. Oh, Utah. You're so crazy. Oh, man. Um, wow. Oh, speaking... Oh, so, but what are you actually reading? Oh, I am reading, um, <laughs> The Color of Magic, uh, oh. which is a fantasy novel, because of course I am, nice. but that I'm listening to because I, um, got an Audible membership that I oh, needed right. to cancel, so I just started buying or spending my Everything. credits. But this one actually is a, is a library audiobook, so I have a shit ton of audiobooks right now, but this one is The Secret Place by Tana French who's an Irish crime novelist, um, but she's really cool. So she writes these like Irish murder mysteries. Um, They're not cute. They're not adorable. They're not Miss Marpley. Uh, And all of her detectives, I believe, are based out of the Dublin murder squad. So there's, and there's always like a badass female detective. And I read her first book uh, in the woods a couple of years ago and I loved it. And I had kind of put her on the back burner. And then this came up like with what's available on my Libby app. And I was like, oh, I'll get that. And it's Really good. Our audiobooks is her audiobook um, in an Irish dialect. Yes. yes, and there's a POV from a male detective, so it's this Irish dude, <laughs> and then there's a POV that's not um, it's not from it's not first person. It's kind of like um, omniscient narrator, I think, omnipresent. I don't know. I have a master's degree, um, <laughs> but and that's a female Irish narrator. So it's really cool, different voices, totally different. They're really fun. Yeah. So I'm reading those two books. Nice. Yeah, it's weird for me actually. I'm typically more of a fiction reader or I'll normally have like one fiction and one nonfiction going mm-hmm. but I looked at my stack the other day and realized it's like all nonfiction nonfiction with Les Mis on top <laughs> which is nonfiction. Uh, so France um, was really that bad yeah exactly so it's that's unusual for me I've done a little bit of a turn uh-huh. I need to get some fiction get in some my fiction life. going um yeah uh so speaking of bleeped out words I I think I texted you this I showed up to a rehearsal on Tuesday. For those of you who don't know it, I coach a middle school improv team. Mm-hmm. And I showed up to rehearsal, and they were like, we heard your podcast. And I was like, oh, fuck. So the kids know I swear now, <laughs> but I don't really care. I wouldn't encourage I mean, middle school listeners, but I feel like they've all seen Deadpool too, and I'm like, nothing they're going to hear on this pod is worse than something in Deadpool, no. so fuck it. No, fuck it. Middle schoolers, if you're listening, uh, turn on your parental controls so it bleeps out every time I say fuck it. Yes, but what book are they reading right now? Uh, They read it because they're reading Lord of the Flies. That's it. I think if you can read about child-on-child island murder, you can hear me say fuck. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think if you are dealing with the themes in Lord of the Flies, like a little F word isn't going to make much of a difference. I watched watched both Fire Festival um, documentaries back to back. And one of my favorite things that happened was there were certain moments where it's like all these millennials who, you know, like can't find their freaking tent or whatever that are like, it's like Lord of the Flies around here. (laughs) Like, because they aren't getting their, you know, sushi they were promised. And it's all of a sudden the Hunger Games and Lord of the Flies. It was hysterical. Oh, the schadenfreude. Oh, it's so fun. It's so... Yeah. Y'all, you have not truly suffered until somebody has sharpened a stick on both ends. Am I right? You know, until you have paid um, $2,000 to fly to a deserted island for a festival that you've done zero research on, you have no right to call your lives Lord of the Flies-esque. You know, Lauren, 
Lord of the Flies, Matilda, we have us yet another batch of British children. Here we go. Here we go. We just can't get away from those British children. Although I was going to tell you at one point, and then I'm like, save it for the discussion. I feel like these are the most British-ish of all the groups of British children. The way that they deal with things is is so British, it kills me. Well, they're all so dignified. Yes. It's perfectly beastly to Lou the whole time we've been here. <laughs> like, the, the world's crumbling around them, and they're like, my goodness, better find Peter and tell him what's happening. <laughs> you better mind your manners, Edmund, or I shall report you to the professor. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I thought that too. So, just for the record, Jessica and I have nothing against our own country. We just um, really, apparently, we prefer to escape to literary worlds that are <laughs> I like my British kids focused. magical and British. What yeah. can I say? yeah. Uh, so this week's book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is the first of the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. The Chronic. What? Oils of Narnia. Yeah. SNL in general has a big hard on for Chronicles of Narnia. I think they do. I think they must. I mean, but who doesn't? I mean, this was a big deal. I re- I definitely remember having to read this in, I don't know how young, though. What grade would you think? Probably I, third or fourth? I'm trying to remember if I book reported this. This was yet another book that I received in a giant-ass box set. Yes. So, like, I had them all. Yes. But I don't ever remember it being assigned. I imagine I, like, turned it in for a, like, reading list or something. Like, how many books can you read in a summer? Mm-hmm. But I don't ever really remember an in-class discussion or, like, a facilitated deep dive into this book yeah because kevin was saying he read it with his kids when he taught fourth grade Hmm. one year so it's still being read in schools well that's about right yeah um you know my tweet like summary is for children travel through enchanted furniture and save the world (laughs) thanks to help from jesus lion golden jesus lion love him Uh, mine is the lion the witch and the worst parenting parenting methods ever Oh, there's an air raid. Let's send our children to an abandoned house the professor lives in and just let them roam free for... That's what they did in that old time. I mean, I know, but come on. Right? Well, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, I I know this was a common practice. Mm -hmm. Well, because he really really did it. He and his... I don't think his wife. I think um, during a a period when he was living with his best friend's mom and his brother, like when they were all cohabitating... I think that's when some kids came out in during World War II. Well, because he dedicated this to... It's his goddaughter. Mm-hmm. His name is Lucy. That's really cute. Which, um, and I forget the dad's name, but yes, that was one of the friends that he was, which is really cute. And yeah. I want to read the, the little dedication at the beginning of the book. Do you it's remember so the Disney movie Bre- Bedknobs and Broomsticks? Oh, yeah. They did that. They were out, they were out in a country house because of World that's War II. That's right. So, yeah, this is a pretty, like prevalent theme people but was it because like where are their actual parents did they were did the dad have to go to war and the mom like that was my big thing was because they don't talk about it's just like the four kids are in the house with the professor that's the situation and we don't really know where their parents are no they don't mention it at all at all i think in further books they do i think particularly oh, like okay. in the last battle when just everybody dies and goes to narnia heaven they, they talk <laughs> about parents. i don't remember i don't remember the later books oh i, I got some stuff about the later books. you good, good. I got some thoughts yeah um, but yeah no it was a pretty i think it's a pretty common practice to just get your kids out of london yeah but these kiddos understandable we don't even learn their last name in this book because it's the pevensey or Pevensey. yeah siblings. it wasn't until i looked it up 
um, online. Yeah, they don't say it at all. On the internets. On the interwebs. But yeah, you're right. They don't talk about it in the book itself. Um, Yeah, I really wanted to... I thought this was really sweet. So the introduction is to Lucy Barfield. My dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you, but when I began it, I had not yet realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales, and by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can then take it down from some upper shelf, dust it, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf to hear and too old to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather, C.S. Lewis. That's lovely. I thought that was really sweet, and it kind of made, like, my adult cynicism... Because, you know, like, reading this now as a 37-year-old, there's times in when I'm reading it, and I'm like, oh, come on, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I'm not in, like, fairy tale land. But reading that again, it's, like, a good reminder of that's what books like this are for. Take a step back and kind of have your sense of wonder again. So I thought that was really lovely. Um, So this book was, oh, sorry, let's, uh, the official summary on the back of the book, because we didn't really find one we loved. Yeah, none of the internet ones are all that great. But uh, the back of the book of Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. How Aslan, the noble lion, freed Narnia from the spell of the White Witch. Which I think is fascinating because it doesn't mention the children at all or anything. Um, it's <laughs> All of these little Narnia caplets or recaplets are how so-and-so, how such-and-such. They all begin with how. And you're like, this is so dry and boring. Wow. This is um, a children's book, isn't it? Come on. But uh, it was published in 1950. Mm-hmm. And I need to post a picture of Your my copy. copy of the book is hardcore against Lauren's um, (laughs) because it's like a little white one and Lauren looked at it and she's like it looks like a choose your own adventure and these are this must be like your original copy huh yeah but I'm signing a a publishing date of 1970 and I this book cannot really be vintage 1970 I feel like I must have had a later print just because I was not even born then and these were a gift, but I guess maybe they were in an attic for a while and then got re-gifted. No, it's cool. Yeah, um, we'll definitely post a side-by-side comparison. Because like, I just recently purchased mine because I didn't own a copy. Yours is really pretty and like kind of looks like an art in Shakespeare, just the way the cover's laid out. Yeah, and all the illustrations were done by a woman named Pauline Baines. And so... Oh, and I have the, the same illustrations. Yeah, so the um, one that I've got, they're all in color, and it's kind of pretty. Yeah, mine are Some black of them and white. are a little weird. They're... The, <laughs> with the creepy illustration yeah, style. Yeah, like, oh, man, like, the one, well, we'll get to it later, but the whole scene with Aslan, like, is straight up oh, creepy. yeah, at the stone table at yeah. the end with all the, yeah, all the Not beasts look so incredibly creepy. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I didn't quite finish the book because <laughs> my last page, it looks like an animal took a bite out of it. Oh, no. I know, so I, I remember what happened. Okay, if you but. need to read the final two paragraphs. <laughs> It's like the middle of my last page is just gone. I think a lion took a bite out of your copy. And the front of my book is, the cover's missing, so it says C.S., the lion, and the ward. So I'm reading a very, very well-loved and abused copy of this book. Hey, you know what? Sometimes that's the best thing about paper books. I think C.S. would would appreciate how much I loved his book. (gasps) But let's talk about him before we dive into the book, because he's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, not like our boy ruled. He wasn't a spy or anything. No. Um, and there's a lot of talk, you can't help but avoid, but not avoid, you can't not avoid talk of, uh, religion when it comes to C.S. Lewis and just how much did he or did he not put into his books. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like over time, like that's just become a huge talking point 
And so I tried to kind of keep that in mind this time while reading it to just really see how much of it, I mean, obviously they call them the sons of of Adam and the daughters of Eve, but it seemed like he had a very interesting relationship with religion and Christianity in his own life. When I, um, again, I was going to listen to an audio edition of this just to try to do it while I was driving and kind of switch back and forth. And the audio edition I found was produced by Focus on the Family. Oh, boy. And I balked hard. I was like, I can't listen to it. Because for anybody who's Colorado-based, Focus on the Family is a very conservative organization yes. based out of Colorado Springs. And most of us wow. don't love it. Yeah. It makes me deeply uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I have a huge religious bias coming into this because I find Same. the core of things lovely, the core tenets, thou shalt not kill, be nice to people, take care of your neighbor. Like the core of every religion is pretty cool. But when you kind of get into the way humans have distorted it and manipulated it and, t- be, and made organized religion, that's when I get a little twitchy. Mm-hmm. So diving back in, First of all, hearing focus in the family made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I had to read, th- read through this going, what is he actually saying? I can't just lump this in and go, go, go Christianity because it's, in 2019, this is so controversial and war on Christmas, war on Christianity, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I guess if anything, you know, and I am, <laughs> I am in no way a biblical scholar, um, but, you know, it seems like the main focus of it is there's a lot of, kind of allegory in relation Mm -hmm. to the Bible or just some of the stories. It does seem like there's sort of kind of that biblical storytelling rather than trying to have it be like a, this is why you should join the church. Yeah. Uh, Uh, It it felt like a lovely redemption story. mm -hmm. It felt totally touched on the resurrection of Christ kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, and everyone, you know, there's all the things of is, is the lion Jesus. Um, Yeah. So I don't, but I don't know. I, I also feel like you can go into it without having any of that. And it's just a fairy tale story. Like I, I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, keeping both of those things in mind while reading. It was really tricky this time. And it was definitely a different Mm -hmm. experience than last, last time I read it. Yeah. Now I'm a cynical atheist adult. So like, hmm. I'm real, I'm real like, don't give me your religion (laughs) in my children's books. So what I knew most about C.S. Lewis going into this was that he wrote this uh, as a Christian allegory, Mm -hmm. that he was friends with J.R.R. Tolkien, Mm -hmm. and that the play Shadowlands was based on him and also about cancer. That's all I knew. Um, So going into his kind of biography was really cool. Um, So Clive Staples Lewis uh, was born in 1898 and died in 1963, a British writer and lay theologian, which means he did not train to... um, study religion he just kind of studied it on his own he was not any sort of (laughs) I don't know documented religious scholar didn't Um, have a PhD had no PhD in religion (laughs) Um, he did have a whole bunch of great schooling um but he was not in that one of my favorite things about him is that he was born in Belfast Ireland and when he was a boy when he was four so he preferred to be called Jack I don't know why he didn't want to be called Clive Staples his whole life. I mean. uh, He preferred to be called Jack, and that's because when he was four, his dog Jaxie was killed by a car. And at that age, he decided he was going to be called Jaxie from then on. So since his doggo died, he was like, I'm taking the... buddy. so sweet. Oh, that is sweet. Um, At first, he would only answer to Jaxie, and then eventually (laughs) it relaxed into Jack. And so he was kind of known as Jack for the rest of his life. And I think that's lovely. And most of the information that I have today is from Wikipedia. So uh, if you are capable, throw Wikipedia a couple bucks because we love them and we abuse them for this pod. What would we do without Wikipedia? 
Um, he, as a boy, he was fascinated by anthropomorphic animals and loved Beatrix Potter stories. Um, and he often wrote and illustrated his own animal stories. Um, he had a brother named Warren, who was called <laughs> Warney. I love British nicknames. Oh, man. I love it. Who's called Warney these days? Nobody. We're going to start going by Jaxie and Warney. Well, Jaxie and Warney. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so he, he created a world called Boxen, B-O-X-E-N, um, inhabited and run by animals. So even when he was a kiddo, he already had, like, steps into Narnia. Yeah. It's really cool. So he was developing this world from a really young age. Um, So he had private tutors, tutors, until he was nine when his mom died. And then he was sent to uh, the Winnard School in Watford, and that's in England. Um, I found it interesting. Did you ever read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell? Rowell? No. It's basically Harry Potter fan fiction, but published... (laughs) It's really good if you wish Harry and Draco got together. That's, uh, that's I give it two thumbs up. Check out Rainbow <laughs> Rowell, carry on. But the name of the magical school in that is Watford. And I was like, interesting. I wonder oh, if there's any sort of huh. tie to this. Um, Probably. But when he was about 15, he decided to become an atheist. Oh. So Lil C.S., Lil Jaxi, uh, was an atheist from 15 until his mid-30s, I believe. Um, and he's also fascinated with Scandinavia and northernness, which you totally see influencing this. Oh, of this. course. Um, he was really into with the, the winter and all of, yep. Um, question for you. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the wolf in your book? Hmm? The, the wolf in your book. The witch's main the, henchman? Yeah. Yeah, do you remember his name? I don't remember. Flip through it and see if you can find it. Because okay. um, I was reading the summary and I got all haughty and I was like, that's not the name of the wolf. And then I discovered an interesting fact. Oh. So we flipped through it and I'm going to keep talking. Um, within months of entering Oxford University for continuing studies, um, he was shipped by the British Army, British Army to France to fight in World War I, um, which they didn't know was the First World War then. They just thought it was a big war. Um, in one of his letters, Lewis cited that his experience of the horror of war, along with the loss of his mother and his unhappiness at school, were the basis of his pessimism and atheism. He kind of had the idea of, if God created this world, why does it suck so much? And it stated <laughs> that he was, he was uh, angry with God for not existing. So he had this very weird, complicated kind of relationship with religion. One thing I love about him is that He uh, had a very good friend that he shared a room with in army training, uh, Edward Courtney Francis, quote-unquote, Patty Moore, um, who he made a pact with that if either of them died in the war, they would take care of each other's families. And so his friend actually did die in the war. And since Lewis's own mother was dead and his father was distant, he ended up moving into his friend's home, and his friend's mother, Jane Moore, kind of became his friend and, or so his nice. surrogate mother. Yeah. So he, like, took care of them and their family. And they had this wonderful, like, communal home. And there were rumors that they had a relationship, but that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you find the wolf? I can't. I keep finding parts where it just says the wolf, but I can't find a name. So I think the wolf in your book is named Mogrim. Oh, okay. And the wolf yeah. in my book is named Fenris Ulf. Oh, yeah. Mine was definitely the first one you said. Yeah, and I was reading the synopsis, and I was like, the fuck? And it's because <laughs> the American, in, in, in England when he published it, the wolf was named Mogram. He published it in America, and he changed it to Fenris Ulf and changed just a couple other tiny things um, based out of a name of a wolf from Greek mythology. Or Greek, uh, derp, derp, derp. Uh, Norse mythology. Norse, yeah. And so, but then the publishers changed it back when it switched cha- publishing houses. Well, how dare they? So I've got this weird little tattered cover of the book with uh, the wrong wolf name in it. And Good. I think that's really cool. I like that. <clears throat> 
Um, eventually, he returned to Christianity hardcore, and in World War II, he was taken to um, giving lectures on the BBC to soldiers to kind of keep their morale up. He couldn't fight, uh, so they let him broadcast uh, Christian broadcasts on to the soldiers and over BBC radio. Um, and those were later published as other books. And one of his other famous books includes in, includes includes the Screw Tape Letters. Have you read that or ever I haven't? It? No, I haven't either. But um, it's a demon writing. To yeah, demon. I'm interested in it, but and it's uh, fairly comedic. I mean, John Cleese does one of the mm-hmm. audio, like a BBC recording of it or something. Yeah, man, I'm always so fascinated by someone who can go from atheist back to like full-blown Christianity I would love to C.S. Lewis I wish you were still around because I would love to pick your brain on that well and Tolkien kind of helped talk him back into it right but then he went Church of England and Tolkien was a different church and uh I might be wrong yeah one thing I read about his um I really enjoyed uh finding this out his relationship with Tolkien they were a part of a literary discussion group called the Inklings which is such a cute um, name. Which is adorable. And uh, they were associated with the University of Oxford, and they met for nearly two decades between the early 30s and um, up till 1949. And uh, it was just a bunch of writers and literary enthusiasts, and it sounds kind of like Algonquin round table mm-hmm. but for England and um, maybe less booze since, you know, a lot of them were religious. Less booze, more tea. Although they did meet at the Eagle and Child pub a lot. Of so course. So come they... on. But yeah, I thought that that was really uh, interesting. And what a cool time that those two were like buddying around. And then just writing books. Well, and I hope that at some point we get to The Hobbit. But the writing style in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is so incredibly dry and straightforward. Mm-hmm. Like there is really not a lot of bells and whistles on this. It's Mm-mm. like, and then this happened, and then a fawn came out. His name was Tomnus. Yeah, I mean, and for... For how fantastical the world of Narnia is, mm-hmm. the language is not flowery or very expansive on that world at all. There's some little, like, bits and pieces. Um, there's one passage when we get to, like, what our favorite parts are. That, But I, I feel like he, yeah, he doesn't really let himself go. With, I feel he doesn't follow that writing advice of show, not tell. He's like, I'm just going to tell you everything. Yeah. And he strangely skips the Here's big the moments. Account. Oh, yeah. Like when Aslan and Edmund have a convert, the, the big combo, he skips it. I know. The battle, he skips it. He's like, the battle didn't last very long. You're like, it's true. I was reading this for the fucking battle. Yeah, it was interesting reading it this time after we've been connecting with, um, because we've just read a lot of children's or young adult mm-hmm. literature over the past year. Uh, so it was kind of interesting coming back to this one and seeing how different a writer he really is compared to some of that so um but yeah so the, i don't know was there any other c.s mm-hmm. lewis stuff That's a, you have pretty good for that um, um but yeah we i know we briefly talked about so the whole book begins when the four children have been sent to live in this house with the professor um, the professor whose name we don't learn until the seventh book of the series right i found it again googling but they don't they just call him the professor in the book um, and it's all we know is it's this big, crazy mansion that apparently has lots of rooms and furniture and things. And, and Lucy is the first to stumble upon the infamous wardrobe and go inside because she's playing hide and seek. And um, she 
finds out that you can stumble out the back of it and land up in a magical world. So yeah, she stumbles through, stumbles through, stumbles through, ends up in a snowy little world called Narnia with a lamppost, and she's standing there shivering, and she sees this cute little fawn come trotting down with a scarf on and like packages oh, under his arms. Mr. Tumnus is a good fawn. I like him, but he's Him's not a good, a good fawn. fawn. Oh, no. He's not. He's a very bad fawn. It's true. But he admits he's a bad fawn and starts crying. So I feel like he's really a good fawn who thinks he's a bad fawn and has a lot of issues. (laughs) He's got a lot going on for a fawn. Uh, I told Jessica I had to write this down on that SNL sketch. He calls himself the perfect combination of man, animal, scarf, and flute music. In a way, I've become an unlikely sex symbol for a very specific sort of woman. Sort of a lazy Hermione, if you will. Oh, oh yeah, that is us to it. And James McAvoy's a wonderful tumnus. <laughs> wonderful. But it's true. He's just this kind of lovely little woodland man creature. Because he's a fawn, which is, for anybody who doesn't know, he's got uh, goat legs and a human body, yeah. a human torso. Um, but then isn't that what a satyr is also? Yeah. So, why are there satyrs later in the book and they're not called fawns? What was he doing with this? Right, because there's satyrs and naiads and dryads, but I don't think I'm pronouncing those right. And so centaurs. We, and centaurs. Like, I could see the difference between a centaur. But is... Yeah, I, I did feel like being called a fawn was strange to me, because when I hear fawn, I think of a baby deer. Yeah. But, um, but I, he definitely has a part man body. And they make it pretty clear that he's part goat, part human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that too. Which is exactly what a satyr is. Um, yeah. I was Weird. trying to find the initial description of him to see exactly how they described him at first, but I just mm-hmm. found a, an illustration of him crying. Um, he's the Wilbur of this book. He just cries oh, a lot. He's just so sensitive. Is But yeah, so Lucy meets him and goes back to his house, which is what you do when you're a young child and meet a weird creature in the woods. In the 1940s, in a war-torn England, you're like, well, it's not war here, and it's winter, so I'll go with this dude. (laughs) So Lucy (laughs) ill-advisedly goes with him, they have tea, they have a nice time, and then he starts crying, and he's like, I'm a bad fawn. She's like, you're fine. And he's like, no, I turned you into the witch. You gotta go. So they jet out of there, and she goes back to the house and comes tumbling out of the wardrobe, and is like, did you miss me? And her brothers and sisters like, you were gone for like a minute. What are you talking about, crazy? <laughs> and they none of them believe her. They go back into the wardrobe and touch it, and it's a solid wall. Yeah, and they're like, Lucy, you've gone, Lucy, you've gone quite mad. Lucy, really, be yes. mature. Stop but, acting like a child. But then you know, you're the youngest of all of us. But then Enbids decides to be a fucker about it. Because like yeah. Peter and Susan are just, That's they the let us is Peter. Susan is the next. Edmund is the second youngest. And then Lucy is the youngest, youngest. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, she's just a kid, let it go. But Edmund's a dick. Edmund's a dick. And so the next time that Lucy ventures into the wardrobe, he sees her going in and is like, haha, I'm going to go there and tease her. So she gets in and he follows, and oh shit, he is, finds Narnia too. But since time's kind of wonky, uh, he, she's long gone by the time he gets to the lamppost. And he does not meet Mr. Tumnus, he meets the White Witch. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she is a piece of work. Uh, she presents herself to Edmund as a very nice witch. The queen of Narnia. The queen of Narnia, um, lets him, you know, tells him he's going to be king. She wants him to bring back his siblings and all four of them will come to her and she's going to make him the king and they're all going to rule Narnia together and isn't that going to be great and you can eat whatever you want and produces mass (laughs) amounts of Turkish delight, which is the thing Edmund wants most in the world for some reason. she's like, what do you want most in the world? 
And he's like, Turkish delight, which we had a long conversation about. What the fuck is that? Yeah. If you look it up, um, the images of it make it look like it's some sort of weird, like gelatin type candy with nuts in it. And like maybe powdered sugar. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't look great. No, it looks like weird jello fruit cake. Yeah, and there's this really funny article I read about how um, how pretty much that was one of the main betrayals of C.S. Lewis was that he convinced the world that Turkish delight was a good thing. And one of the people in the article who tried it says, it looks gorgeous, but it kind of tastes like nonsense. <laughs> Thank you. But apparently Edmund is in love with it and gets to eat all the Turkish delight he wants. So he shoves it in his face. Yeah. Um, oh, and I think what happened, I think he went in by himself, but then he comes out and Lucy's like, oh, you went in too. And he's like, nope, I didn't. I didn't see anything. Yeah. Well, no, they meet each other there at the end at the lamppost. Oh, that's right. But he's, and that's when he's yeah. a dick. So and he yeah, like he... lies to her and says. Yeah. When they get outside of it, Peter's mm-hmm. like, is that true, Edmund? He's like, no, we were just playing. Yeah. Yeah. So and um, he keeps it real under wraps that he met um, this witch and uh, so already they have very different views of what Narnia is because Lucy sees it from the side of meeting Tumnus who's and like the witch is evil she calls herself the queen she's super oppressive it's always winter never Christmas mm-hmm. um, and Edmund sees it from her point of view which is that. Uh, you're going to all rule and it's going to be amazing and yeah. I'm the best, I'm a benevolent queen and, and I'm all awesome. this stuff I'm going to do for you. So that's kind of where they're at. Um, and then there's a day where, they, well, they talk to the professor and the professor does not dissuade them. No. The professor's like, yeah, you're probably right. Because, spoiler alert, <laughs> he fucking is the creator of Narnia. Yeah. Like, in books, He's in basically many books like the wizard. He's, he's the Oz yeah. of this whole situation. And he just can't get back there anymore. I think that's really cool. And I think that C.S. Lewis probably discovered that as he was writing the series and probably didn't know, but maybe he did. It kind of makes me think of, um, I just re- recently watched uh, Christopher Robin, which is so sweet. It's a really sweet movie, but it kind of makes me think of... Like, there's a lot in there about how Christopher Robin's grown up now, and so he can't get back to Hundred Acre Wood because he's just a stodgy old adult. And so um, it was just, I thought that made me think of how the professor is now, where, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Well, that's what eventually happens to Susan. Like, she becomes too adult and starts thinking about makeup and boys and loses her ability to get to Narnia around, like, the four or five. So uh, he basically encourages them that if they can get in, they should go yeah it's cool <laughs> yeah and so there's some tour of the house or i love the fact that old british houses like country manors have tours yeah they're like it's the weekend let's tour homes let's go see the rich people <laughs> like they do have you seen a gentleman's guide to love and murder i haven't yet oh there's a big thing where like they're touring the house oh that's funny the it's really funny <laughs> they're like there's air raids but we're rich let's yeah. go walk around other people's let's go walk around houses. the house of someone even richer like, um, how is that a thing yeah and the kids are basically you know being kids and trying to get away from everyone and hiding again and so they all go in the wardrobe this time and they walk and they walk all and they walk and this time they find they have the wherewithal to take some fur coats with them because it's always fucking winter and it's always <laughs> yeah. cold. And Lucy went in. How is Lucy not freezing her ass off? Right? Like, come on. They went in there with just their, like, running around the house clothes the first no, time? No, they're crazy. So the, the third time, when all the children are in there, they grab some coats and they're mm-hmm. like, oh, cool, we're going to go have an adventure. And I mean, going. you're going in through a wardrobe. 
it's quite literally full of coats. So they, <laughs> they have the good sense to do that. I'm going to credit Susan with that. That seems like a Susan thing Thank to you, do. Thank you, Susan. Yes. And their justification was, too, was like, well, it's not stealing because we're not taking them out of the house or even the wardrobe. Right. So that's fair. I feel like those coats got lost by the end of the book, though. That's actually one of my favorite illustrations in the book is there's one where it shows all the four of them like walking across a snowy field oh, and they're yeah. all in these like oversized coats. It's Giant really it's cute. So, um, and now is when they meet but Mr. Father... Beaver. Oh, was the beef or Father Christmas first? No, it's the beaver first. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm mixing up. Oh, the beavers. I love them. Well, so they, Lucy's like, let's go to my friend Mr. Tumnus's house. Yes. They and, go to, that's right. And it's just a wreck. Yeah, um, Tumnus is not there. Tumnus is not there. It's a hot mess. Because on Edmund's trip, he let drop to the White Witch that his oh, sister had been sister. there. Yeah. And she met a fawn named Tumnus. So, of course, like, fucking Gestapo style, the witch's <laughs> troops go in there and, like, tear open the house. And they get there and there's nothing there. And we learn yeah. about Tumnus's fate a little later. But the kids are like, oh, shit, what do we do? And they see an animal in the bushes. And yeah. it's like a big animal, a big brown animal. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily for them, though, it's our boy, Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver and his wife, Mrs. Beaver. So the beavers are great. They're big talking animals, and Mr. Beaver leads them to his house, yes. which is a dam on a frozen river, and it's so cool. And he's going to help them because he's so sweet. And Mrs. Beaver's, like, stitching away at her sewing machine, and she just makes him this humongous dinner. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a really cute scene with the beavers. Beavers are cool. What also happens in that scene is uh, Mr. Beaver kind of drops the mythology of Narnia, saying that Aslan is on the move. And the kids are like, we don't know what that means, but it sounds <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, and um, and he, they're able to tell him, tell the kids. Finally, Lucy says, okay, well, what's going on with Mr. Tumnus? What happened to him? And um, so that's when they reveal that... Uh, the queen, well, the white witch has the ability to turn everything into statues, and so he was likely taken and turned into a statue. Like all the other animals she doesn't like. Yeah, she kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, so at some point during this, they realize Edmund slipped away. Yeah. And they're like, oh shit, how long ago did that happen? Edmund. And Mr. Beaver's like, I didn't want to say this at the time, but I could tell your brother had met the White Witch before, mm-hmm. and he looked like somebody who'd eaten her food, which is such an interesting theme in literature, the idea of don't eat somebody's food in, in a mythical land. Yeah. Advice for everyone listening. Uh-huh. If you get sucked into a mythical land, do not eat or drink anything. Unless the beavers prepare it for you. It's, That's unless, okay. If it is prepared by woodland creature, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Then you're safe. If, if it's some sort of mythical creature... Uh uh-uh. uh. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Because she's not human. She's part giantess and part something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, although appears human, is super duper not and hates humans. Mm-hmm. So, oh shit, Edmund's gone. And so the beavers are like, we gotta go. We gotta get Yeah, we gotta get him because. Yeah, so they pack things up quickly and are like, they're gonna be here in about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So they, they head out um, to a kind of a hidey hole to hide. And then we switch to Edmund's point of view, and he has indeed found the White Witch. And he's like, I want more Turkish delight. I'm here. Can I have more? And now she's like, no, fuck you. <laughs> uh, kind of ties him up and puts him in his sled, They're her sledge, and they go zipping off. To- that was funny to me, too, how they uh, they love to call it- they refer to sleds as sledge, sledges yeah. instead. Because like, Father Christmas has a sledge, too. Yeah. And so it's a sleigh, right? Yeah, S-L-D-I-G-H. it's just... But they call it a sledge. Yeah, and I mean, it's actually spelled out S-L-E-D-G. 
I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing, yeah. essentially. I know, but it was just, I've just never seen a sled called a sled no, before. No, I've only seen it in this book. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe Anna Karenina as well. Oh. Because oh, Russia. Yeah. Um, so she's not nice to him at all, and uh, off they go. Yep. Edmund's getting treated poorly, and... And meanwhile, the other kids get to meet Father Christmas. Yeah, so they wake up, and Father Christmas is there and gives them gifts, and... Um, and and that's kind of a tip-off, too, of how they know something, how Aslan must be on the move, because Christmas hasn't come. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's showing up, then... And, and all the water starts to melt, or all the water starts to melt, all the snow starts to melt, and suddenly spring is coming, and spring, like, shows up within a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And this moves quickly. Oh, yeah. Like, this book escalates a lot happens really fast. Yeah, there's not a ton of buildup. It's like, all right, shit, all of a sudden spring's coming, Aslan's on the move, the kids meet him pretty fast. And since she brings winter everywhere she goes, I was like, is she gonna hook up with the Night King from Game of Thrones? Maybe. Maybe that's where she goes after this. Yeah, I think, I think she's so. dead, but... Mm-hmm. They're gonna join forces. Uh, so, they, yeah, they, they make it to where the beavers live, but it's not on time, obviously. Everybody's gone. Um, yeah, and she sends her wolf, but wolf are basically her secret police. My wolf is called Fenris Ulf. Lauren's wolf is called Mogram. <laughs> Same wolf, different names. Um, and I noticed uh, there was one quote that I wrote down because it finally, like, dawns on Edmund after all of this shit that maybe she's not a good person after all. And it says, and Edmund, for the first time in this story, felt sorry for someone besides himself. <laughs> that was my favorite quote from this. I was like, that's, <laughs> there we go. So Edmund finally turns it around, realizes maybe he's not making an alliance with the best person. Um, and at this point, they're walking, because it's, yeah, uh, the snow's melted, and she basically has him tied up. Yeah, and he's and got the, his, her little dwarf minion just, like, poking him every, like, <laughs> ten feet. It's um, kind of comical. Yeah. And uh, so they're going that direction, and um, the beavers and the kids are... Uh, Heading to the stone table, Yeah, that's where Aslan's gathering everyone. Mm-hmm. So they arrive... Oh, well, let's talk about the gifts Father Christmas gave them. Oh, yes. They're all very badass gifts. They are badass gifts. Peter gets a sword, because mm-hmm. uh, he's the eldest. Susan gets a bow, and Lucy gets... The... A dagger, the, the, a tiny little dagger, because he doesn't want her in combat. Wars are ugly the when women fight, he yeah. says. And I, I admit, initially was like, Neh. and but then you kind of see like, in the time period, mm-hmm. what exactly? I, I took that with a grain of salt. Um, but and uh, bah, 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 bah. so Lucy gets the cordial that's the life saving cordial and the dagger. Susan gets her bow to keep her out of combat kind of a distance as well, and a horn that anytime she blows it, help will come. Yeah. And that horn turns out to uh, be pretty handy in later books too, which oh. I really think is cool. Mrs. Beaver gets a better sewing machine. <laughs> what does Mr. Beaver get? That's what I was trying to find because I couldn't remember. Mr. Beaver gets two gift cards to Jamba Juice and he fucking likes them. <laughs> you will like that, Mr. Beaver. Oh, when you get home, you'll find your dam finished and mended and all the leaks stopped and a new sluice gate fitted. It's a good gift. 
So he hooks him up with uh, his chores. Dam repairs. <laughs> Some dam repairs. <laughs> they don't say damn nearly enough in this book. They don't. They should say damn So more. now they're all loaded up with things that are obviously going to need to be used in future battles. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Um, and then we have our first confrontation. Like, the, the white witch kind of shows up with Edmund. Yeah. And like, give us your brother. And she's like, oh, no. I forgot the big attack, so she decides she's going to kill Edmund. Oh, yeah. She was like, he's no use to me anymore. I might as well kill him because uh, all four of the kids need to be present to take the four thrones at Care Paravel. Care mm-hmm. Paravel. I don't know Care Paravel. Care Paravel. I'm going to say that. That sounds nice. It just made me, kept making me think of Carvel ice creams. Yep. It totally sounds like Carvel ice cream cake. <laughs> they arrive there, and there's a throne in the shape of Fudgy the Whale. <laughs> but those kids, like a prophecy, there's a prophecy that four thrones would be filled. And right. so, oh shit, if there aren't four kids, I guess I can't be deposed. So she's like, I'm going to kill Edmund. And at that mm-hmm. moment... Um, she's about to slice his throat. About to slice his throat, and Aslan's friends show up, centaurs, all the, all the badasses, leopards. All the good peeps. Yeah. Yeah. All Edmund's peeps. So Edmund is rescued. Um, oh, I wrote Aslan saves an- sends animal rescue party to save Edmund, and just in time too, because she was about to slit his throat. Like <laughs> within seconds, the timing was impeccable. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you haven't caught on by now, animals are basically the ones who like run the story in this. They're they're good and kind and helpful, and end up doing all of the good stuff. Well, and although there are humanoid creatures in Narnia, there are no humans. Right. But then later, when we, like, explore the outer countries, like the neighbors to Narnia, there are humans. Oh, yeah? Which I find so interesting. Hmm. Uh, whatever. I can't deal with this mythology. I don't even know our own world history. I can't <laughs> I dive into the history of Narnia. <laughs> so so we- now a deal is being struck, and the children notice that um, Aslan and the witch have come to some sort of deal, mm-hmm. um, but they don't know exactly what it is. Um, because she wants to kill Edmund. She was right. like, he's my property, he's a traitor. There's deep magic from the beginning of time that says if somebody's a traitor, they belong to me. Mm-hmm. And all they know is that they've come to some sort of conclusion where Edmund is not going to be killed. <laughs> but Aslan is looking very somber now uh, and kind of has like a last like day, morning sort of where he's... He's walking through the the girls ask if they can walk with him and he's just he's his whole demeanor has has somewhat changed. They they find him very stoic and um Yeah, there's like they spend a night just doing sad hangouts. Yeah. And he doesn't say what's wrong, but he like lets him pet his mane and Yeah, and Green Days, I hope you have the time of your life is playing in the background. Um Um, but uh, nighttime rolls around and the witch and her assholes all show up Ugh, and it's just the worst and she's got like giants and minotaurs yeah and she she takes her time and she makes this like very as cruel as possible like they all you know they tack him and then they tie him up but then she that's not good enough she has them all shave him so they shave off all of his beautiful golden fur and jeer at him and are being being mean and all this stuff and um yeah, and then they put him up on the big stone table, and oh, yeah. and he t- he had told the girls before this all started. He because he says to them like, "Okay, this is as far as I'm going to let you walk with me," um, but they stuck around anyway and are watching everything from the bushes. So they see everything go down, but they turn their heads at the actual killing. Yeah, um, and so Aslan gets killed. He's yep. dead. He's a dead lion. They go when the, all the evil creatures are gone, because of course the witch is like. I'm going to go kill everybody now that you're dead, dude. You're a dumbass. Yeah, Just, like you thought that, because he, he thought that that was part of the deal, but of course the witch is like, uh, 
fuck that, actually. Um, You're dead, vicious, or strong, so called vicious lion. So yeah. she goes off, and the girls are just sad and kind of hang out with Aslan's body during the night. And one of the parts I really like is when the little mice come. Yeah. And initially, Susan is like, get away from the body. And Lucy's yeah. like, no, look, they're helping. And so the little mice chew off the bonds and the ropes. Yeah, because the girls try. They try the best they can to, like, make his body look better, but they can't. And they take his muzzle off. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and the little mice. And mice are later rewarded for that um, with, the, with the gift to speak. When we meet Reepa Cheep, the mouse, in Don Trader, he's a descendant oh. from those mice. And he's like, we were given the gift of speech. Oh, that's nice. Because of what we did for Aslan. Isn't that nice? Well, that's good. Read like The Voyage that. of the Don Trader, because <laughs> Reepa Cheep is awesome. Uh, so uh, Aslan's like, we, gotta, we got work to do, ladies. Yeah, because we find out there's even bigger magic than the, the most powerful magic that the witch thought she knew about there's actually it runs deeper than that and Aslan knew the whole time that he would be able to resurrect himself yep that if he sacrificed himself for Edmund a sacrifice means that it breaks the bonds of death and so Aslan's like all right let's go let's go let's go save everything and the boys are in battle at this point already Mm -hmm. which Aslan does not go directly to the battle which you think he would because uh, Edmund and Peter and Susan or no Susan's with them Edmund and Peter and all of their allies are in trouble but instead Aslan heads to the white witch's house Mm -hmm. and the girls get to ride on him and it's a glorious oh that's my favorite we're talking like a galloping horse but it's faster and softer and like you get to hold on to this wonderful mane Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that description was beautiful they get to the witch's house, and Aslan goes about unstatuing all of the people and the creatures the witch has statued. Yes, because the house is full of them. <laughs> so he has Statue in, City. There's another lion. There's a dwarf. And there's Mr. Tumnus. There's a giant. Rumble Buffin. Rumble Buffin. Most, most creatures in this don't have names. Rumble Buffin has a name, the yeah. wolf has a name, but like Mr. Beaver's Mr. Beaver, Mrs. Beaver's Mrs. Beaver, <laughs> but there aren't a lot of named creatures. Right, they're just called the centaur. Yeah, the centaur, the, the minotaur. Yeah. But I love that Rumble Buffin gets a name. And and I think it's like a familial name too, because they say he's like from the Buffin family. <laughs> that sounded Tolkien-esque. Like yeah. just the Buffin sounded like a hobbit name, and I was like, I see how you guys are. Buddies. I like it. I like it. Um, so then, from there, he and all of his re- new, uh, newly animated friends go off and kick some ass. Mm-hmm. And when they show up, Peter is battling the witch, his sword versus her stone knife, and they're sort of locked in mortal combat. Um, there's a whole bunch of statues on the battlefield because the witch was doing her trick of statuing people and animals. Mm-hmm. But our boy Peter had the wherewithal to go, I'm going to smash the wand. Yep. So he smashes the wand. Which was a smart move. Smarty. But, um... Because she can't statue people with her, without her wand. Or was it Edmund that statued, that broke the wand? Edmund broke the wand and was horribly wounded? Oh, Is actually, I think you're right, because then that's why Lucy has to then give... That's, that's when the um, the potion comes in handy. That's a really good um, redemption because Edmund is redeemed at this point. Yeah, like he has been a better person. Uh, he is fighting alongside his siblings. He has sworn off Turkish delight. <laughs> <laughs> He'll never eat it again. But I like the fact that within oh I don't know how long have they been in Narnia? Twenty four hours? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty fast. Yeah, a lot has happened. But you also get zero indication of, I mean, when they end up going back through, like, zero time has passed. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, within, I mean, I say within 24 hours of being in Narnia, ter- Peter has turned into a badass swordsman. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a little, uh... Maybe the sword comes also with the power of how to use it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call it that, and maybe some Narnia air turned into him to fucking Jon Snow, but exactly. I was like, yesterday you were a British schoolboy. I like the way Rumble Buffin talks and that he refers to a handkerchief as a handkerchief. It's really cute. It's really it's adorable. really cute. Oh, yep, Edmund did the... Good on you, Edmund. Good nice work. on you, Edmund. So, yeah, they defeat her, well, for now. For now, she's defeated. Um, the battle ends very quickly in and, one sentence. Yeah, and then they're all, it really is. Like, everything, you're right. It just is so sped up. It's crazy. Um, and then they are all given their new uh, names. It's King Peter the Magnificent, Queen Susan the Gentle, King Edmund the Just, and Queen Lucy the Valiant. I like it. So, ta-da, and you guys get to be kings and queens all yay. of a sudden. And during the festivities, though, Aslan does an Irish goodbye. And yeah, he, he does. He pieces. Yep. He doesn't say goodbye. You're he like, just sort of... Aslan, we're doing shots. Where'd you go? <laughs> I'm going to go pray. <laughs> I like him, though. I like Aslan. And then and the then... End book ends with the children, now grown-up kings and queens, mm-hmm. with a whole lifetime of ruling this country together. Um, none, none of them seem to have married, although Queen Susan was certainly, everyone wanted to marry her. Uh, uh, yeah. And when they get on, on, in present day England, uh, no time has passed. So they, when they go through, the party is going on exactly how it was, but then they go back into the wardrobe and yeah, and they're back and it's over. And for Peter, nope, for everybody, everybody gets to come back for Prince Caspian. Mm-hmm. And then only Edmund and Lucy get to come back for Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Oh, okay. Trader, whatever it is. I really like that book. Oh. Um, Dawn Trader is a really I might good need one. to read more of these now. Yeah, I mean, well, they're simple to read. Like, mm-hmm. we kind of whipped through this. So yeah. that's the plot of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's yes. fairly simple. It moves really fast. It definitely does. I gotta say, I think it adapted well to a screenplay. Uh, just because it wasn't so rich that uh, the, the screenwriters were able to get a little inventy as far as action moments, but they weren't untrue because the book just skips such big details. Yeah. They're like, and there was a battle. Yeah. What do you think about the uh, narrator situation in this book? I find it interesting that he goes into first person yeah. occasionally, occasionally. So did I. Uh, and see, really randomly and then goes away from it. It's not consistent. It is not. He'll, he'll drop in to like deliver a little bit of a value or an observation and then poof, he's gone. Yeah. And whenever he does, it's very much like, okay, so now you see children. The reason this has happened, like it, it does have the tone of like someone who's reading a story mm-hmm. to kids and pauses for a second to explain something to them. So I find it interesting, but it's, it's just... Yeah. I thought it tasted a little bit like Lemony Snicket when he did that. Oh. Uh, have you read any of those? I have not. Uh, What's not wrong to, with me? They're shorties too. And they're, I know, the, I should. Their narrator voice in that is cool. And it, I feel like <clears throat> it was born out of this and then just got more pointed. Mm. And when Daniel Handler kind of gets hits Lemony Snicket, that sort of narrator first person is really cool. Nice. Not part of the story, but very involved in the lives of the children that he's narrating about. Yeah. Um, so what were some of your favorite parts? Or oh, uh, favorite parts? I really like her tea with Mr. Tumnus. Mm-hmm. It's one of the, really one of the few scenes in the book. Yeah, like an actual full scene. <laughs> Which is maybe that's why I also like the scene at the Beaver's house because it was a real scene. Um, you kind of got to know the people in Narnia, and then of course I loved the freeing of everyone at her castle. Yes, that was so good. All the animals coming back to life after animals and creatures. And Aslan would just blow on them, and mm-hmm. boom, they would come back to life, and like the, the color would start to spread back into them. It was really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I liked that part. What part did you like? 
Mine was definitely the paragraph where they rode Aslan, where Susan and Lucy took a ride. Um, yeah. And the paragraph starts with that ride was perhaps the most wonderful thing that happened to them in Narnia. That's cool. But it's just so beautifully written, and it's one of the more descriptive parts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really liked that. Well, I like that Susan and Lucy were there, too. Um, one of the websites I found, I won't quote it directly, so I don't have to tell you which website it was, because I forget, <laughs> pointed out that um, after the Jesus was crucified and taken down and put his body was put to the cave or whatever, it was women who tended to him. Oh. So that's kind of one of the reasons that Lucy and, and or, Susan did. Or whoever hypothesized that that's a reason. Lu- Susie, Susie and Lucin? Nope. <laughs> Lucy and Susan were the characters who did that. Yeah. Well, and they, throughout the book, take care of the logistics a lot. Like, there's definitely things where the boys are all over the place, but Susan and Lucy are the two who have it kind of organized. Yeah, well, Lucy's a fun character, too. Because yeah, I like her. They don't ever push her into tomboy territory, but she's definitely, like, I'm going to do my own she's thing. She's pretty scrappy. Yeah, she's totally scrappy. She's matilda Yeah. You know, spunky. Yeah, or scout. Mm-hmm. She definitely falls into that well She's of the heroin. scout of Narnia. <laughs> well, because if she was, a, the, if this book had a protagonist, it would be her. Yeah. Um, you know, this is pretty much Lucy's story, although we have all these other characters having important parts of it. Yeah. Who's your favorite character? Um, I love Lucy a lot. If if I'm picking, like, one of the humans or one of the children, I'm probably going to pick Lucy, but I really, I really love the beavers. I just thought they were great. Beavers are great. They were practical. Mm-hmm. They, uh, but they got the they got shit done. They helped. I mean, of course, I love Aslan, but like, but in the same way we love Atticus Finch, like, right. both are kind of unimpeachable. They're mm-hmm. both great. I mean, I'm sorry, he's Jesus Lion, like, yeah, and he embodies all of the goodness. I think that people attribute to Jesus. He's kind. He takes up. He sacrifices his life for mm-hmm. somebody else. So I found in this all of the positives of Christianity, the good things that the Bible asks people to do uh-huh. rather than the Leviticus shit. Like, <laughs> this felt generous and loving in New Testament and not... Uh, this line did not hate any gay people. Hey. Hey. Look at that. Look at that. He didn't judge... He didn't judge Tumnus at all. He judged... He did no judgment. Um, I, so I found this... For a Christian allegorical novel, it was... Uh, hit light on the right parts... Um, it made me. It made me happy. Were the beavers your favorites too? Nope. Who's your favorite? Edmund. Oh, really? Yep. I, That's an interesting twist, isn't it? Because I have a feeling he might be getting your asthma award. I well, I have comments on that. But yeah, mm-hmm. tell me more. I love Edmund. Cause I, I this is this is one of my favorite character types. Like the kind of weaselly little asshole with a redemption arc. Um, if Draco Malfoy had only had some sort of redemption, <laughs> right? Exactly. He didn't. Um, but I, I, I get that kid. He's the third child. Mm-hmm. He's um, kind of cross. He's, he's hungry at some point, so that makes him grumpy. Like, <laughs> I feel you, Edmund. And then that my my opinion of Edmund is also colored by him in the later books, though, mm. because John Treader, he's awesome. Okay. Uh, sorry, Prince Caspian, he's cool. But in Voyage of John Treader, we meet Don Treader, Don Treader. I don't know which one it is. Um, but we meet their cousin, Eustace Scrub, who is an even shittier version of Edmund. Oh. So in that book, Edmund is the nice cousin. So then cousin. you're like, oh, Edmund's actually cool. Yeah. But then he does some nice stuff for his shithead cousin, and his cousin ends up being a better person and does a favor for somebody who's a shithead later. So I like the redemption arc of mm. I'm an asshole because it's human. He's kind of all of us. Yeah. Like, I wish we were yeah. all Lucy's, 
But when our blood sugar gets low, we become Edmund. Oh, I definitely get hangry. A lot. I can relate. And uh, he really likes snacks, and I also really <laughs> like snacks. Um, but I think I think Edmund is my favorite character because he's fallible, and he has to live with the guilt forever of knowing what Aslan did for him. Yeah. Um, I don't know... Because uh, the girls even say, does Edmund know? But Aslan and Edmund have that mysterious conversation that mm-hmm. Lewis never tells us what happens. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in that, they had a good chat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he had has to live his life knowing that somebody saved him. And that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I also like the other lion. Oh, oh yeah. The one who was a statue and then just got like real enthusiastic. Yeah. Is he the one who's like, Aslan saved me? Yeah, Aslan saved me. And when Aslan was like, great, uh, leopards, you go there. Us lions will go over here. And the other He's lion like, was like, us lions. lions. We're lions together. Me, me and Aslan. Aslan. We're, we're I, yeah. It's so incredibly cute. Yeah, and I was also a fan of Rumble Buffin because he's sweet. He's Rumble a sweet giant. Buff, yeah. Rumble Buffin. Who gets your sex to your Asmar award? Well, you were right. Like, early in the book, it was going to be Edmund. <laughs> but then he redeems himself, and so I can't do that. So I just have to give it to the witch. Oh, yeah, um, she's mainly a- because of her cruelty to animals um I can't abide that <laughs> no she just sucks she she's sucks. really manipulative and a liar and um I'm not a fan no not a fan she sucks she's a bitch and uh Tilda Swinton played her in the film that's a good choice to yeah. play that kind of part no offense to you no Tilda. offense Tilda you do it well though you play that part well yeah I'm sure you're a glorious human being do you have the same sex to your asthma award? I do because she sucked yeah but her dwarf was also a little asshole he was a dick he was a, but yeah, mean Which little. I get it. I mean, he's got to work for her, but yeah, I he found sucked. The, you know, he was kind of like Creature. In, he was like oh, a, a bad house elf. Yeah, you're right. Like a mean one. I found it interesting that, you know, C.S. Lewis does not describe people very much. Uh, no, he's not super descriptive. But he describes that elf, or that dwarf, as having <laughs> a golden tassel hanging from the top of his hat. And I'm like, what? Why? Why that detail? Like, if you don't really give a lot of detail to much of your other writing. And that golden tassel never, like, comes up in the series. It's not like, oh, I recognize him by his golden tassel. That was just, like, one prized possession. I don't know. I don't know either. So weird. Um, One thing that was vivid for me was when he talks about how the white witch's skin is so pale, you almost can't see it. Yeah, that it's not. She's, like, that pale. Yeah, that it's not pale. It's white. What? That white, yeah. Like, yeah, you are definitely not human, part giantess. yeah. Um, so yeah, we talked about the movie a little bit already. Uh, it was in 2005. Liam Neeson was Aslan, as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then give I... Give me back my sons of Adam. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done with my daughters of Eve? Very special set of skills. <laughs> and claws. Uh, I liked that movie. It came out right after, you know, it was on the Lord of the Rings wave. Yeah, like, I've never seen it. It was fine. Yeah. And then I went and I saw Prince Caspian, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them all to be. That's better. a bummer because I feel like in the right hands you could do a ton with this. Well, I think I maybe, wouldn't be surprised if down the line somebody else tries to make it again. Well, I think I was just the wrong age for it. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I was an adult too. at that point. Yeah. If I had been a kid watching kids fight yeah. in a badass mythical That's battle, true. Yeah, how are the kids in it in the movie? They're good. Yeah, they're fine. It's it's just a fine it's a fine movie. James yeah. McAvoy's a great little tumness, but I think I was just the wrong demographic when that came out. Like I had read the books and loved them, but at that point I was like, I'm more of a Lord of the Rings watcher than a Narnia watcher. Right, that's true. Um, so what is a 
I guess we, I almost skipped our disc question. Yeah, let's go to the disc question. No. You want to do yours first or you want to do mine? Uh, I'll do yours. What's yours? Mine is, what, uh, what talking animal would you want to hang out with? And I don't mean like Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. I'm like, you're going to meet a whole brand new talking animal. What animal would you like to have talk and hang out with? Oh, like, like something that doesn't exist yet? Yeah, it doesn't well, have to. none of them exist. But. It doesn't have to be in the book, but if you like really like beavers, you could say beaver. But like... Yeah, I would be happy with a talking fox. Plus face facts. I wonder if they would be like really sly though. If we yeah. Used to be nervous. Yeah. Because I think like. I think that's kind of why I would want. I would want um, some sort of creature that maybe still knows the scoop on the area, and I feel like the fox would know the goings on, but still be a helpful creature. Yeah, I think I would want to hang out with a talking otter. Um, sort of in a similar world. They're both yes. predatory mammals, <laughs> up to shenanigans a lot. Uh, mine's a little less sly than yours. Yes. As long as there's no talking baby seals, we'll be fine. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, mine is, what piece of furniture in your home is a transporter and where does it go? <laughs> like something you actually have here. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's our new yellow chair from Ikea. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And it goes into an old-timey British study. Uh, and like, Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's where I think it goes. Like, How do you get into it? I think you have to like fall asleep, and it sucks you in. And it sucks you. Yeah, that's what I think. What about your house? Um, so much of my furniture isn't really good. It doesn't really have things to like go into. Oh, I have this really... There's this uh, big case I have that has, is just full of CDs. So maybe if I tried to get into that, somehow it would trans me, transport me back to, like, Zia Records, which I used to hang out a lot at in the, like, mid-'90s. Or Radiohead concert. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be good. Oh, sweet. I'm going to try that when I get home. Great. Good. Kevin just finds me collapsed in, like, a bunch of CDs. With CD-shaped bruises all over I was trying to forehead. wardrobe myself. It's not how that works. Didn't go well. Why do we have to read this? I mean, it is a really good children's story, and you know, all those good fantastical elements uh, showing that boys, boys and girls can be strong and fighters. And yeah, definitely, definitely equal representation of gender, mm-hmm. uh, kid protagonists, and I think like if you're introducing kids to genre, this is a great dive into fantasy. Yes, and and um, kind of the relationship with all the animals and creatures and stuff too. Like it's fantastical without being too. Over the top. Mm-hmm. So I can see why it's been a steady book within schools for what now, 70 years? It's almost 70 years. Well, I think until recently, fantasy novels are kind of hard to read. Yeah. You can get really deep into world building and get kind of turned off. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with, uh, with Harry Potter and uh, the whatever, the millions of fantasy novels since yeah. I mean, I'm reading one. Or know. even like introducing kids to Tolkien is. Mm-hmm. More of a challenge. I mean, this is for younger. Like this, you can start start them younger with this book. Well, and also just be like, open up your imagination. Let's yeah. Uh, which I thought was funny because when he was writing fantasy, his publisher was like, I don't know if you want to do that, bro, because people at the time were like, uh, it's bad for kids. It, we don't want them to be too imaginative. We want them to write, read realistic stories. It's we, so British. It's so British. <laughs> we we were afraid it might frighten them. They yeah. thought some of the scenes were too scary. <clears throat> nope. Uh, so it was a movie, and it had been in a couple incarnations before then. Like, they had been making movies of this for a while. But I couldn't find a play version. Could I have helped out on a children's theater version oh, of this. Oh, there is that one. Actual okay. children perform. 
I don't know if it's licensed. I don't know if uh, um, if it was legal, but I think that <laughs> there there have been was sanctioned by C.S. Lewis's estate. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I had no Simpsons references. None. Um, I found there's one episode where I guess you can see a copy of it on Lisa's bookshelf. That's the only thing I found, too. And I was like, okay. You know, when we started this podcast, we thought it was going to be so easy to have Simpsons Simpsons references for every single thing. And then there's some really obvious ones, like this book, that I can't believe there aren't any. Yeah, I mean, come on. My friend Zach uh, sent me a picture of culinary literary titles. And so one of them is The Lion, the Witch, and the Waldorf Salad. Oh, my gosh. I like Warren Peas. There's Warren Peas, Quiche 22, Lord of the Pies, (laughs) Animal Flan, Of Mice and Menudo, Pride and Fruit Juice, Cremini and Punishment with some mushrooms on there, Oliver Twix. So that was entertaining. At least we found some sort of adorable, cartoony, funny reference. None named after Turkish delight, (laughs) because Turkish delight is nonsense. No, if Jeff were, if my husband were in this room and not in the other room, (gasps) nope. There is a version of this because the Arvada Center Children's Theater did it, not within the last decade, but they had a song about Turkish delight. Which every fucking time I fucking mention this book, (laughs) my fucking husband sings the Turkish delight song. Uh oh, and it's endearing um maybe Jess will be able to talk him into recording it so she can insert it i I don't want to encourage that kind of behavior never mind um but before before we wrap up and say what our next book is i just wanted to give a shout out to our friend mary adams who contributed to our christmas carol question i didn't realize when we asked all our christmas carol actor friends to share their christmas carol stories that those poor bastards were all in the middle of runs of Christmas Carol. <laughs> so nobody had free time to do yeah, that. Yeah, they got a new Scrooge, like, with yeah. two weeks left. They were doing they, 100 they shows didn't have a time. So um, Mary writes, I played the ghost of Christmas Pass in the Arvada Center in the early 80s. I thought the carolers didn't enter on time because they forgot their cue, but it was actually because I forgot to say it. Oh, <laughs> no. And then she says, at the old Avenue Theater, I could see that the actor who was supposed to say the first line when he entered was having a senior moment. So I... Fred's wife and the assistant bag lady covered for him with Molly was dead. There was no there was no doubt whatsoever about that. So I love that she totally Just took saved the first line ass. from the play mm-hmm. from the book. I mean, well done, Mary. Thank you for contributing. Thanks, Mary. If you guys want to read along our next book, don't worry. You don't have to chomp the whole thing at once. But our next book is like my dream come true. <gasps> is that meaning I ever wanted? I've been promising this to Jessica for ages. Da, 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 da. Do you want to say it? I think you should say it. We're doing Les Miserables. Or Les Mis, or Les Miserables, or Les Miserables. Or do you hear the people sing? Or do you hear the people sing? Um, or the Miserables, if you want to untranslate it. Or Les Miseranimals, if you watch the Animaniacs cartoon. <laughs> so we have the uh, Christine Doniger translation. Yeah, so this thing is massive. This clearly isn't something that we're going to be reading all of, and it'll be the February episode, but what we're going to do is be breaking it up into some chunks, and we're going to be trying to time it um, with the new BBC series. So yeah, next, uh, which uh, uh, premieres in the US in April. Yeah. So we will dive into the first bit of Les Mis and talk a little about Victor Hugo next week in a full-size episode, and then we'll be moving on with the rest of the season and having little Les Mis mini episodes pop up here and there. Yeah, and if if you want to be like super gold star top of the list... 
Um, in March, we're going to be doing our very first ever live podcast recording, which yes. is super exciting. And it's going to be in conjunction with, with Benchmark Theater's production of 1984. So we're finally going to be covering 1984. So if you want to read ahead, uh, yeah. read 1984. Get yourself some Victor Hugo or some George Orwell. And uh, you're set for yeah. a couple months. <laughs> Nothing but sunshine for the next I couple know. months. I know. Hey, by the way, Jesus. remember how we wanted to start the year with something light? It's because we're going to ruin your life for the next couple of months. Because we are talking poor French people and fucking big brother. Yep. Um, so that's what's coming up that's in the next couple of months of Required Readcast. Yeah, so we hope you join us. But until then, um, stay gold, professor, with no name until book seven. <laughs> stay gold, tumness, you little flute-carrying fawn. Stay gold, Pevensey children, because that's your last name. <laughs> Stay gold, white witch, even though you're just white. Stay gold, beavers. <laughs> Stay gold, giant, whose name I just forgot. Stay gold, rumble buffin. Oh, rumble buffin, rumble thank buffin. you. Stay gold, rumble buffin. Stay gold, wolf of two names. <laughs> Stay gold, Jessica. Stay gold, Lauren. Thank you for listening to Required Readcast. If you enjoyed the show, head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating and or review. We're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at REQ Readcast. Required Readcast is produced by Sexpot Comedy. Theme music and lyrics by Max McEwen and Noah Evan Wilson. Vocals by Aaron C. Willis. Stay gold, bookworms! This has been a Sex Pot Comedy Joint. Collaborative, community-driven comedy produced by Andy Jewett and Kayvon Kalitvari. Headquartered in Denver, Colorado, with technical support from Isaac Miller. Every day at sexpotcomedy.com or at a show near you. Until next time, be well, friends.